A Garden, Written After the Civil Wars. By Andrew Marvell. See how the flowers, as at parade, under their colors stand displayed. Each regiment in order grows, that of the tulip, pink, and rose. But when the vigilant patrol of stars walks round about the pole, their leaves, that to the stalks are curled seem to their staves the ensigns furled. Then in some flowers beloved hut each bee, as sentinel, is shut, and sleeps so too, but if once stirred, she runs you through, nor asks the word. O thou, that dear and happy isle, the garden of the world erewhile, thou paradise of the four seas which heaven planted us to please, but, to exclude the world, did guard with watery if not flaming sword, what luckless apple did we taste to make us mortal and thee waste? Unhappy, shall we never more that sweet militia restore? When gardens only had their towers, and all the garrisons were flowers, when roses only arms might bear, and men did rosy garlands wear. The picture of little T.C. in a prospect of flowers. See with what simplicity this nymph begins her golden days. In the green grass she loves to lie, and there with her fair aspect tames the wilder flowers, and gives them names, but only with the roses plays, and them does tell what color best becomes them, and what smell. Who can foretell for what high cause this darling of the gods was born? Yet this is she whose chaster laws the wanton love shall one day fear, and, under her command severe, see his bow broke and ensigns torn. Happy who can appease this virtuous enemy of man. Oh then let me in time compound and parley with those conquering eyes, ere they have tried their force to wound, ere with their glancing wheels they drive in triumph over hearts that strive, and them that yield but more despise, let me be laid, where I may see the glories from some shade. Meantime, whilst every verdant thing itself does at thy beauty charm, reform the errors of the spring, make that the tulips may have share of sweetness, seeing they are fair, and roses of their thorns disarm, but most procure that violets may a longer age endure. But oh, young beauty of the woods, whom nature courts with fruits and flowers, gather the flowers, but spare the buds, lest Flora, angry at thy crime to kill her infants in their prime, do quickly make th, example yours, and ere we see, nip in the blossom all our hopes and thee. An Horatian Ode Upon Cromwell's Return from Ireland by Andrew Marvel Recorded for LibriVox.org by Adam Ringeth the forward youth that would appear must now forsake his muses dear, nor in the shadows sing his numbers languishing. Tis time to leave the books in dust and oil the unused armor's rust, removing from the wall the corslet of the hall. So restless Cromwell could not cease in the inglorious arts of peace, but through adventurous war urged his active star. And, like the three-forked lightning, first breaking the clouds where it was nursed, did through his own side his fiery way divide. For tis all one to courage high the emulous or enemy, and with such to enclose is more than to oppose. Then burning through the air he went, and palaces and temples rent, and Caesar's head at last did through his laurels blast. Tis madness to resist or blame the force of angry heaven's flame, and, if we would speak true, much to the man is due, who, from his private gardens, where he lived reserved and austere, as if his highest plot to plant the bergamot, could by industrious valor climb to ruin the great work of time, 
and cast the kingdoms old into another mold. Though justice against fate complain, and plead the ancient rights in vain, but those do hold or break as men are strong or weak. Nature that hateth emptiness allows of penetration less, and therefore must make room where greater spirits come. What field of all the civil wars were his were not the deepest scars? And Hampton shows what part he had of wiser art, where, twining subtle fears with hope, he wove a net of such a scope that Charles himself might chase to Caresbrook's narrow case, that thence the royal actor, born the tragic scaffold, might adorn, while round the armed bands did clap their bloody hands. He nothing common did, or mean, upon the memorable scene, but with his keener eye the axe's edge did try, nor called the gods with vulgar spite to vindicate his helpless right, but bowed his comely head down, as upon a bed. This was that memorable hour which first assured the forced power. So when they did design the capital's first line, a bleeding head where they begun did fright the architects to run, and yet in that the state foresaw its happy fate. And now the Irish are ashamed to see themselves in one year tamed. So much one man can do that does both act and know. They can affirm his praises best, and have, though overcome, confessed how good he is, how just, and fit for highest trust, nor yet grown stiffer with command, but still in the Republic's hand, how fit he is to sway that can so well obey. He to the commons' feet presents a kingdom for his first year's rents, and, what he may, forbears his fame to make it theirs and has his sword and spoils ungirt to lay them at the public's skirt. So when the falcon high falls heavy from the sky, she, having killed, no more does search, but on the next green bough to perch, where, when he first does lure, the falconer has her sure. What may not then our isle presume while victory his crest does plume? What may not others fear? if thus he crown each year. A Caesar he ere long to Gaul, to Italy and Hannibal, and to all states not free shall Climacteric be. The Pict no shelter now shall find within his party-colored mind, but from this valor sad shrink underneath the plaid. Happy if in the tufted brake the English hunter him mistake, nor lay his hounds in near the Caledonian deer. But thou, the wars and fortune's son, march indefatigably on, and for the last effect still keep thy sword erect. Besides the force it has to fright the spirits of the shady night, the same arts that to gain a power must it maintain. End of poem. Song of the Emigrants in Bermuda where the remote Bermudas ride, in the ocean's bosom unespied, from a small boat that rode along. The listening winds received this song. What should we do but sing his praise? That led us through the watery maze, where he the huge sea monsters racks, that lift the deep upon their backs, unto an isle so long unknown, and yet far kinder than our own. He lands us on a grassy stage, 
safe from the storms and prelates' rage. He gave us this eternal spring, which here enamels everything, and sends the fowls to us in care, on daily visits through the air. He hangs in shades the orange bright, like golden lamps in a green night, and does in the pomegranates close, jewels more rich than Ormus shows. He makes the figs our mouths to meet, and throws the melons at our feet. But apples plants of such a price, no tree could ever bear them twice. With cedars chosen by his hand, from Lebanon he stores the land, and makes the hollow seas that roar. Proclaim the ambergris on shore. He cast of which we rather boast. The gospel's pearl upon our coast. And in these rocks for us did frame. A temple where to sound his name. Oh! Let our voice his praise exalt. Till it arrive at heaven's vault. Which then perhaps rebounding may. Echo beyond the Mexique Bay. Thus sung they in the English boat. A holy and a cheerful note and all the way to guide their chime. With falling oars they kept the time. The Garden by Andrew Marvel Read for LibriVox.org How vainly men themselves amaze To win the palm, the oak, or bays, And their uncessant labors see crowned From some single herb or tree, Whose short and narrow verged shade Does prudently their toils upbraid while all the flowers and trees do close to weave the garlands of repose. Fair quiet, have I found thee here, and innocence thy sister dear. Mistaken long, I sought you then in busy companies of men, your sacred plants, if here below, only among the plants will grow. Society is all but rude to this delicious solitude. No white nor red was ever seen So amorous as this lovely green. Fond lovers, cruel as their flame, Cut in these trees their mistress's name. Little alas they know or heed How far these beauties hers exceed. Fair trees, wheresoe'er your barks I wound, No name shall but your own be found. When we have run our passion's heat, Love hither makes his best retreat. The gods whose mortal beauty chase, Still in a tree did end their race. Apollo hunted Daphne so, Only that she might laurel grow. And Pan did at this syrinx speed, Not as a nymph, but for a reed. What wondrous life is this I lead? Ripe apples drop about my head. The luscious clusters of the vine Upon my mouth do crush their wine. The nectarine and curious peach Into my hands themselves do reach. Stumbling on melons as I pass, Ensnared with flowers, I fall on grass. Meanwhile the mind, from pleasureless, Withdraws into its happiness. The mind, that ocean where each kind Does straight its own resemblance find. Yet it creates, transcending these, Far other worlds and other seas, Annihilating all that's made To a green thought in a green shade. Here at the fountain's sliding foot, 
or at some fruit-tree's mossy root. Casting the body's vest aside, my soul into the boughs does glide. There, like a bird, it sits and sings, then wets and combs its silver wings. And, till prepared for longer flight, waves in its plumes the various light. Such was that happy garden state, while man there walked without a mate. After a place so pure and sweet, what other help could yet be meet? But twas beyond a mortal's share to wander solitary there. Two paradises twere in one, to live in paradise alone. How well the skilful gardener drew of flowers and herbs this dial new, where from above the milder sun does through a fragrant zodiac run. And as it works, the industrious bee computes its time as well as we. How could such sweet and wholesome hours be reckoned but with herbs and flowers? End of poem. Read by Alan Davis Drake.